I mean, He is our all. He is everything. He is to be the focus of our attention, the focus of our desires. And we do well to remember that. Wow. That's deep. That's great. We come this morning to uh, complete a sermon from last week, basically, to talk about uh, the foundation of Grace Baptist Church. Now, if you weren't here last week, we basically did an exposition of Psalm, uh, excuse me, of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, which we'll read again in a moment to kind of set the tone for this one, although we'll be looking at quite a few different scriptures in different contexts this morning. The reason I decided to break for two weeks out of the Sermon on the Mount and the exposition of that great passage to talk about this was the fact of where we are as a church. You know, sometimes you have times and seasons where you need to deal with different things at different times. And I made the statement that I believe we are at one of the most dangerous points in the life of any church. And that is when we are getting ready to and planning for and moving toward a major building program. Now, one thing I want you to know is you're not going to hear me talking a lot about that through the next months and, and even years until we get there. But I do want to talk about it right now only in the sense that we always find ourselves in precarious and dangerous situations when that becomes our focus. If we start focusing on a building and focusing on a facility and, and think that is the all-in-all all that we're going to have and we can't wait till we get there, when we have that, everything will be perfect then, I want us to realize that is not the truth. Our focus has to be, remain and stay on what really is important to be focused upon. Now, building's nice, a building's important uh, in, in some respects, that we have a home, we have a place, we're permanent there. But the reality is that when we move into a new building, we're in temporary facilities now, but we move into a new permanent facility, none of the focus changes. None of the important things change. Because that wasn't the important thing to get there. That's just a nice thing to be able to do. And so last week we looked at this passage out of Acts chapter 2 and we saw the, the four things basically that early church did. They uh, follow along as I read beginning verse 42 of Acts chapter 2 where the, the apostle Luke writes, he says, and they, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions. They were sharing them with all as anyone might have a need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I tell you, that is one of my favorite passages in all the New Testament related to the church. I like Ephesians chapter 4 where it says that he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as pastor teachers and for the building up of the body, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. I mean, that's a tremendous statement on the functionality of the body. But in Acts chapter 2, what you have there is a priority statement. 
you have there, as we talked about last week, you have there the fact that these disciples, these who are part of the church of Jesus Christ, were not just devoting themselves, they were not just casually attending, but they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, to worship together. These early disciples were making that the priority of all priorities in their life. They had other things that were important. They did have jobs. They had families. They had all of these kind of things that they had to be uh, involved in at one level or another. But they were continually devoting themselves to the things of God, the things that were important. They were a church that was focused on the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. Now, out of this passage and other passages that we're going to look at this morning... I've kind of come up with, with eight things. I, I had the staff write down seven things last week, and so I thought, well, since I get them to seven, I had the privilege of adding one to it, you know, and they, we all kind of agreed on it. We did this separately. I said, if you were to list seven things, I said, list seven things and only seven things that you would consider the core values, if using that terminology, we kind of changed that maybe to, to ministry priorities or ministry foundational matters and talking about that, but if you had seven things, what would you list? It was remarkable that all four of us, separate, not talking to one another, listed the, basically the same seven things. Some of them were worded differently, some of them were in different orders, but we came out with seven things. There was one that I just felt this week as I thought about it and chewed it around a little bit, thought, I really need to add this one other thing. So I've come up with eight things. So I have an eight-point sermon this morning. I usually have about a three or four points, so it takes about half an hour to do that one. So just imagine how long we'll be here today. Maybe not. Eight things that I would call, our, from, from a pastor's perspective, our core values and the important things about Grace Baptist. The eight things that if we were to say, here are the things that we must keep in focus, are the things as I see it, that we must keep in focus, not only today, not only tomorrow, but, but for the rest of the life of this church. And someday when you go to, to see a change in pastor of this church, these are the kind of things you need to look for to be sure they maintain, that they continue on, that they don't lack at all. The first thing, and I think the thing that kind of brought us together to begin with, the first thing I would say is that we must have, and we do have, a high view of God. A high view of God. Now, that kind of, you might say, should go without saying. We say that we're a church. We say that we are the body of Christ. We say that we are the people of God, the family of God. We have been brought together by an act of the grace of God, by the work of God through Jesus Christ on the cross. We come together because of who He is. But I think it's important that we focus on and that we emphasize that one of our primary foundational matters is, is that we have and that we maintain a high view of God. i got to tell you, that's not the way it is in a lot of churches today. In a lot of churches today, God is sort of try, they, they try to sort of dumb down God and bring Him down to their level, thus elevating themselves, they think. And the whole church is about people. It's about man. It's about recognitions of people. It's about trying to say, oh, you're important and your, esteem, your self-esteem must be lifted up. Listen, our self-esteem self -esteem is absolutely unimportant when it comes to this matter of exalting and lifting up and viewing God as the only one worthy of our attention during this hour. That's important. 
Psalm 93, which is one of my favorite psalms, and, and we've talked about it, we've looked at it in the past, you know, uh, gives a picture of God. The Lord reigns, He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded Himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Why is it firmly established? Because the Lord reigns. Why will it not be moved? Because the Lord God reigns. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. More than the sounds of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your testimonies are fully confirmed. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. The psalmist there in Psalm 93 says, listen, here's what our focus must be. Here's what our view of God must be. It must be high and exalted and lifted up. We must recognize that all things exist because He created them. And all things continue because He sustains them. And all things will be in place for as long as He determines that they will be. He is the one to be worshipped. We don't come in here to worship the pastor. We don't come in here to worship staff or the choir or or Grace Baptist Church. We come here to worship God and to keep a high view of God before us at all times. Second thing is, we have a high view of Scripture. We have a high view of, of, of the Scripture, the Word of God, the Bible. As a matter of fact, I have no qualms and no problem with calling this the absolute inerrant Word of God. That is without error. Or the absolute infallible Word of God. It cannot err. Or the absolutely authoritative Word of God. It speaks to every area of our life and every need of our life and has authority there. And when we listen to the Word and when we obey the Word, we do well. And when we don't, we flounder. Both as individuals and as a church. I like what Paul said to young Timothy in talking about the Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul said all Scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired, you've heard it before, means literally breathed out. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is His outbreathing and profitable. It's inspired by God and it's profitable. What's it profitable for? It's profitable for teaching. You do well to learn from it. It's proper for reproof. It will point out where you have gone wrong. It is profitable for correction. It not only points out where you've gone wrong, it points out how you make it right. It reproves you, it corrects you, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God, and man there is anthropos, it's generic, so that the man or the woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work, every act of ministry, every need that might come into your life. Paul says, I want you to understand this, this Bible, this canon of bodies, a canon of books, this body of books that God has brought together by His grace and by His providence through the act of the church and through using men of God like Paul and John and, and Matthew and others has brought this together and has said, now this is my word that I have breathed out for you. Pay attention to it. That's why in the worship time, we, we read a little more scripture than many churches do. We probably don't read enough. But I like it when Jeff introduces a song with Scripture. I like it when we can open with a call to worship that is not 
a human call, but a God call from His Word. I like it when we stand and we read God's Word as a part of the, the service and, and, and we declare, this is the Word of the Lord. And many of you respond, thanks be to God. This is the Word of God. And we view it highly. Second only to God Himself, because this is God's Word. So a high view of God and a high view of the Scriptures. Thirdly, one of our foundational principles is the centrality of the gospel. The centrality of the gospel. You know, we live in a day that confuses the gospel with the results of the gospel. Have you noticed that? You ask the average person, maybe I could ask even some of you and say, well, what is the gospel? And you would say, the gospel is that our sins can be forgiven. No, that's a result of the gospel. You say, well, uh, the gospel is that we can be made right with God. No, that's true. You can be made right with God, but that is a result of the gospel. Others say, well, the gospel is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. And the second is love your neighbors yourself. That's the gospel. No, those are the great commandments, but those are not the gospel. Those are results of the gospel. You can only love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind when you know what the gospel is. You can only love your neighbor as yourself when you know what the gospel is. Those are outworkings of the gospel. Those are not the gospel. You say, well, what is the gospel? Well, we spent... Eight weeks, some time back, about a year ago, talking about what is the gospel. If, you, if you're not familiar with it, go to the website, scroll down in the archive sermons, and listen to them. That's why they're there. But the gospel is simply this. The Apostle Paul uh, said it this way. Now I make known to you, brethren, this is in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. In which also you stand by which you also are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now listen to this. For I delivered to you as of first importance, priority, number one. Here's the gospel. I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. There is the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus Christ came and He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He died in our place. He died as our substitute. None of this moral influence, gobbledygook. None of this He served as a great example for us of how we ought to sacrifice ourselves for one another. That's junk. He came and died as a sacrifice and a substitute. He came as the perfect Lamb of God, fulfilling the sacrifices that had been symbolic for all those years throughout Judaism. He came to die in our place, and He was buried. You know why He was buried? Because He was dead. He was placed in a grave, and a stone was rolled in front of that grave door, and He lay there for three days. And on the third day, the stone was rolled away, and Jesus Christ came forth out of that grave, not symbolically, not spiritually, but bodily. He came forth alive and to live forevermore. Now, if you want to see the junk that's out there, and I don't suggest you read junk, but it might give you a good idea, go on Saturday to the Lexington Herald Leader, 
and just read some of the junk that is being professed as being Christian. Pastors of churches in Wilmore and, and Lexington and Frankfurt who are saying all sorts of things. One said a few weeks ago, well, you know, it's really not important that Jesus actually bodily raised. How can we really believe that? And this is a Baptist preacher, folks. How can we believe that Jesus really got, you know, alive again after he was dead on the cross? I mean, it was just spiritually, his disciples spiritually experienced his resurrection. It's not what the Word of God says. It's not what the gospel is. The gospel is he really did come back to life. Another one, I love this, took, took, last week, Lynn brought this to me, out of one of the pastors said that, you know, well, all men will be saved eventually. There is no hell, there is no ultimate damnation that all will be saved. You know what he based that on? For as in one man all died, Adam, so in one man all shall live. In one man all shall live, Jesus Christ, Paul, Romans. Well, that sounds kind of good if you just don't understand what Paul's saying. Paul is saying everybody that is in Adam, who is in Adam? Everybody. All that are in Adam have died because of Adam's sin. We are spiritually dead because of that. And all that are in Christ shall live. Who are in Christ? Everybody? No. Believers. Those who have trusted Christ. He takes the scripture and he just twists it just a little bit and, and becomes a heretic just that quick. A pastor. A frightening thing. We believe in the centrality of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now it's not talking about just the scriptures that tell about his birth and his death and his burial and his resurrection. It's talking about the scriptures that preceded it for thousands of years. The prophets that spoke of his coming death and burial and resurrection. It's the scriptures that point to that truth. The centrality of the gospel. We also, fourthly, have a high view of biblical doctrine and getting it right. That's what it said in verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, New American Standard says. The authorized version, King James says, to the, to the apostles' doctrine. They studied doctrine. How boring is that? I mean, isn't doctrine just for the seminary classroom? Isn't doctrine just for those who have reached some higher level of spirituality who now feel called to ministry? No. Doctrine is important for the life of the church. Doctrine is important for your spiritual growth. And this early church saw that, and they continually devoted themselves to the biblical doctrine, the apostles' doctrine, the truth. You know, how do you, how do you say it any clearer than that? Doctrine is important, and getting it right is important. I, I have a friend who last year or so ago, uh, and some of you will know this and recognize this, and I won't call any names, but he was sitting in, in, in his church, and he, he said, you know, we can't do this certain thing at Christmas because it is not biblical, it is not doctrinally sound. And, and one of the... Leaders of the church, one of the deacons of the church, ask him the question, well, does everything we do have to be biblically sound and absolutely right? I hope we never have that question asked at Grace Baptist Church. 
Because the answer is a resounding yes. Everything we do, everything we present, everything we say needs to be solidly grounded in the Scripture. My favorite expression of biblical doctrine is in the, the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. You've heard me talk about that. If, if you go back into my office, you'll see sitting at the corner of my desk a rock that a friend of mine years ago gave me with the five solas engraved on that rock. And it sits there as a reminder to me of what really is foundation, what is rock solid, what is doctrinally right. And they're stated very simply, it's sola scriptura, by scripture alone. Sola, solo Christo, in Christ alone. Solo gratia, by grace alone. Sola fide, by faith alone. And sola deo gloria, to God alone, alone, alone be the glory. No glory for man, no glory for anything other than God himself. You say, well, Bill, that's not biblical stuff. That's right out of the, that's just a historical statement from the Reformation. Why do you say that's the clarity? Because it is a clear statement of what we find in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says the same thing. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and to God alone be the glory. That's how you determine what doctrine is, what doctrine is right and true. And we stand on a need for a high view of biblical doctrine and getting it right. There's a fifth thing, and I've got to move quickly. And that is at Grace Baptist Church, one of the foundational principles is that we have a focus on worship. A focus on worship. When we come together, we come together to worship. And from the time I read a passage of Scripture as a call to worship until the time we say the benediction, we don't do anything else but concentrate on worship. Worship is singing unto the Lord. Worship is hearing the word read. Worship is hearing the word proclaimed through sermon. That's all worship. You didn't worship for 30 minutes and then I stand up and do something else. This is still worship, folks, because I'm still trying to point you and direct your attention to Almighty God and to His truth and to what He has to say. So it's not we worship and then we hear a sermon. Uh, you know, we worship and then we have to endure that. No, it's all a part of the same thing. And we focus on worship. You won't hear me interrupting to say, oh, and somebody did such a great job this week. Or, or, or whatever. We focus on worship. We understand because it's filled with Scripture, because it's, it's focusing on God and His, the high view that we have of Him, we understand that all our ministries and the power to do them flows out of worship. Jesus said, listen, in John chapter 4, here's how you worship God. You worship God in spirit and in truth. In spirit, little s, I mean, we, we witness because we worship because the Holy Spirit is present, capital S, spirit. But the word Jesus uses there indicates not 
it's an understanding the Holy Spirit is present, but it's the little spirit. It's the spirit of us, our own spirit that is lifted and, and, and just focusing on Him. There's an excitement. There's a joy. There's a solemnity. There is a quietness. Our spirit worships Him from the deepest part of our being. And in truth, it's according to His Word. We don't have the right to worship God any way we want to. You realize that? Somebody says, well, I worship God my own way. Then you don't worship God. So I can worship God out on the lake. I don't have to be with other Christians. Then you don't really worship the true and living God. Because God said you're to gather together as body, as a body to worship Him. Yeah, you worship individually when you're properly worshiping corporately. But, but the birth of worship and the, and the power of worship in your life is coming together. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Coming together for worship so that you may be able to be together, encourage one another, stimulate one another to love and to good deeds, the writer of Hebrews says, so that you're together and you worship. And you're able to go out those doors and minister in the power of the Holy Spirit because you've worshiped the living God right here together. There's a, high, there's a focus on worship in everything we do. Paul said that in Romans 12.1. He said, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Something flew in my mouth. <clears throat> excuse me a moment. There's lint floating around. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. You know what that sounded like? It sounded like one of those preachers, you know, <clears throat> but I didn't mean for it to. Sorry. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of what? Worship. I urge you, therefore, brethren, present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual service of of worship. Wow. When we are in Christ, when Christ has done His work of grace in our life, we're able to then say, you can't do this apart from that, understand? Apart from conversion, apart from rebirth, you can't do this. But once you've been reborn, you can present your bodies, yourself, your whole self, as a living sacrifice to God. And that's worship. We do it corporately, we do it individually, but we do it together and we worship Him. There's a sixth thing that's important to be the church that God has called us to be, and that is the importance of biblical leadership. Now, I could spend a long time on this, but I won't. I will later when we get to some exposition we'll be doing sometime next year. But the importance of biblical leadership. You find the qualifications of biblical leadership in 1 Timothy and in Titus. And you've read those, you know those. Paul, Paul says to young T uh, Timothy and to young Titus, he said, listen, when you select leaders, whether they be elders or deacons, when you select leaders, you make sure that this is at least characterizing the desires of their life. You make sure that they are above reproach, that people don't look at them and say, oh, uh, we know a little sideline he's got going that's not exactly what it ought to be. 
You make sure that people can't look at them and say, well, they're living one way on Sunday and living another way on, on Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, you know. He said, be sure that the leaders that you choose for whatever responsibility it is are leaders that have godly character. That's from pastor, staff, deacons, whatever. Elders. Hebrews 13, 7 the writer of Hebrews says, remember those who led you. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, that is, expounded God's truth, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. That's an interesting statement. He didn't just say, imitate them. He said, consider their conduct. Consider if they're living out what they profess to be believing. I mean, there, there are some leaders who are not worthy of being imitated, folks. But, but the writer says here, if, if they're living the life, if they're preaching the truth, if they're declaring the truth of God's Word, then imitate their faith. Believe in what they believe in. Or verse 17 of chapter 13 of Hebrews. This is the, this is the least favorite verse among Baptists, I realize. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. And the writer says, listen, God has put leaders over the church. God has put, put elders in place. And you should hear them. You should obey them. You should submit to them if they are indeed living a life and conduct and faith and truth and bibl that's biblical and clearly so. Because if you rebel against them, if you don't submit, if you don't listen to them, then it causes them grief. And when they grieve, it's not profitable for you. Seventh. Seventh foundational truth, core value, whatever you want to call it, is the necessity of evangelism. For this is the mission of the church. We all know the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. You therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We are commanded to go and to share the gospel with every single human being on the face of the earth. We are commanded to go and do missions. We are commanded to go and do deeds that will lead and open a door for us to share the gospel. Back to the focus on the gospel. Folks, apart from the gospel, good deeds don't do anything. There's an emphasis on evangelism. That's why next week on Sunday evening you're going to hear about what God is doing in our life and leading us into some, some mission opportunities that are just phenomenal uh, that will affect a whole people group where the gospel has never been proclaimed clearly. We'll have that opportunity to do that. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. Uh, and there'll be opportunities to do that here to people group in Somerset, Kentucky who've heard, who've heard distortions of the gospel perhaps or maybe you've heard the gospel and just shut their heart to it and shut their mind to it but we'll have a chance to share it with them again fresh and anew and hopefully very clearly Jesus didn't equivocate in Matthew chapter 28 he didn't say you know if, if you got time if it's sort of your personality to go and 
share the gospel, then go and do it. He started out by an interesting statement. He started out by saying, listen, I'm about to tell you something, and I want you to understand where this is coming from. All authority is given to me. It means I'm the boss. I'm the one who can tell you this and who can command you this because I have all authority. I don't have a little authority. you got a little authority because you're in him. I've got a little authority as pastor of the church delegated to me by Jesus Christ in his word. But this is the man who says, I don't have a little authority. I don't have a limited authority. I don't have some authority. He says, I want you to understand that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, who gave it to him? His father. God the Father. He said, Jesus, you're the boss. You're the Lord. Well, you're the Lord of lords, the King of kings. You're, you're above everything, anywhere, at any time. So Jesus says, all authority is given to me. And here's what I'm telling you. Yes, he told the, the original apostles first, but he extrapolated it later on to mean all of us. He said, all authority is given to me now as you go. That's literally what the Greek says. It doesn't say go as a command. It, it really says just, as you go, here's the command, make disciples of all nations. As you go to work. As you go to the ball field. As you go to uh, vacation. As you go to your home. As you go in your neighborhood. As you go to the restaurant. Where, wherever you're going, because you're all going. We're all going somewhere all the time. As you go, make disciples. You make disciples by sharing the gospel. And when the Holy Spirit of God opens their eyes to see the truth of the gospel, and when it opens their heart to believe, then you don't just say, Hot dog, there's another notch on the handle. Count it on the annual report. Send it into the denomination. We got another one. Then you minister to them by making disciples. You teach them the truth. You teach them the foundational things. And you help them understand what it means to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Evangelism and discipleship are one and the same. They're a part of the same thing. They're not to be separated out. They're to be together. Once you've evangelized, then you disciple. Once you have a, a convert on your hands, you don't say, now go find somebody that can help you. You help them to grow. That's our commitment. And then the final foundational principle, number eight, if you're enumerating them. It's something we talked about last week. It's the importance of fellowship. It's the importance of real koinonia fellowship. That is sharing with one another what's really important. It can include sharing a meal. It can include making homemade ice cream, as we'll do next Sunday night. But folks, if that's the level of the fellowship, if that's the depth of the fellowship, we've missed it. We've missed it. 
The depth of the fellowship is to be as it's described in Acts chapter 2. And they had fellowship one with another. Breaking bread together, the Lord's Supper, and praying together. That's where the depth of fellowship comes in. The other might have instituted, it might initiate it, but it has to go deeper than that. If the depth of your fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ is that you eat a meal together or you share a bowl of ice cream together, you don't know what fellowship really is. I've loved the comments that have come back from the truth project groups I mean people have said you know it's just it's been great we've we've gotten to know parts of the body of our body here at grace that we didn't know before I mean uh, they were over on the other side of the church and they were on the other side of the church and and we we would worship together but we didn't know one another and I've gotten to know people that I didn't know the body has been more intertwined and more hooked together that's that's just a byproduct and you all had food when you met for the, Grace, uh, for the Truth Project, didn't you? That was a part of initiating it, but it went deeper than that. You, you, you ate together, you talked together, you prayed together, you studied together. That's what real fellowship is. And we can do that in here at a certain level, but you can only do it at some levels when, you're sm when it's a smaller group, when you can actually look each other in the eye. You know what? Y'all are only looking one person in the eye through this whole service. Just me. So we're all having great fellowship with me. I like it. But you're looking at the backs of others' heads. That doesn't build real fellowship. Worship, okay, not fellowship. And we want to be a fellowship in body. One of the great things, and this is, you've commented on it, many of you have, and others that visit here notice it. My son comments on it every time he comes to visit because we don't get out of here until after 12 o'clock. You know, he said, man, nobody wants to leave. Now, that's an overstatement because some of you leave pretty quickly. But there's a group, there's a, there's a large number of people who just want to stand around. And I realize some of you have to. You've got reasons you have to leave. Okay, I'm not criticizing you. Now, nobody will leave today, and I'll be here till 3 o'clock. <laughs> but they don't, people, there's just a, a certain sense of fellowship that people don't want to leave they want to visit they want to talk they want to inter inter interact with one another they want to engage one another in just fellowship that's good after you've heard the word after we've prayed together after we've sung together it's good just to interact with one another well those are the eight things that I see and you might want to add some more but I and and I wouldn't argue with you that there are probably more, but if we want to just draw it down to eight things that I think are important for Grace Baptist Church, it's a high view of God, a high view of Scripture, the centrality of the gospel, a high view of biblical doctrine and getting it right, the focus on worship, the importance of biblical leadership, and, and following the scriptural mandates there, the necessity of evangelism, which is the mission of the church, and the importance of fellowship. Folks, as we move forward to have a permanent home on Oak Leaf Lane, don't focus on the building. Don't focus on the project. Don't focus on this idea. You know, Kevin Costner did a movie a few years ago, a little strange movie, my estimation, but the big phrase that came out of it was what? Build it and they will come. A lot of churches have adopted that philosophy. 
Well, if they come because of a building, they're coming for the wrong reason. We want people to come and unite with us and build their lives and their ministries with us based on these eight foundational principles from the Word of God. And as we strive to do that, God will honor it. So as we talk about moving to Oak Leaf Lane, whenever God opens that door for us to make that move, the focus must be continually on what we're talking about here. Fellowshipping, praying, worshiping, the Word, God Himself being the body of Christ. Not just being, quote, another Baptist church, end quote. Let's pray. Father, it is such a joy to know that you are at work in Grace Baptist Church and in each of our lives in unique ways and in similar ways. And the Lord, you are calling us to be a body that focuses on you and your truth and worshiping you, and fellowshipping together, and getting it right. And Father, I know that as all of those things are important, those are the very opposite of the things that Satan wants to see happen here. And so he will distract us as best he can. He will try to get us off of seeing you as high and exalted and lifted up. Holy, holy, holy God. He'll try to get us to see you as just a good guy. Bigger than us, more important than us, a little bit. But hey, it's really all about us. And our comfort and our wants and our desires. Lord, let our desires be only for you. Let our desires be only for honoring and glorifying and worshiping you and living out your truth. Father, I realize that a real part of this is sharing the gospel with those who don't know you. And even in this context, we've talked about what the gospel is. And I... I pray if there be one person here this morning that doesn't understand and has not submitted to you as the one who died in our place as our sacrifice, that, Lord, you would break their heart today and show them their sin and their rebellion against you and, and your, your power in the gospel to change their life. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would do that work in many lives this morning. If that need exists in this place. For believers, I pray you would just confirm to us those great truths that we've talked about. And then, Lord, as we move back in the Sermon on the Mount, continue to instruct us in some things that are difficult, but all things that need to be heard and 
understood by your Spirit. Father, we praise you. We stand in awe of you. We worship you. In Jesus' holy name. Amen.